0: This is a recording made in the chapter of the open book at the Wednesday General Meeting, and we are still dealing with portions of Romans, the 8th chapter. The passage before us uh, uses words like this, verse 26, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Just Cast your eye back with you for a moment to the beginning of this chapter where no condemnation is the result of the finished work of Christ. And you will see that in verse 2 it says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now that is saying in wonderful language we've been translated out of Adam and put into Christ. The law of sin and death operates in him. The law of the Spirit of life operates even through Christ. Well then after speaking about the impossibility of the carnal mind to please God, here we come to the fact that, verse 11, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal, mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. That's the next step. And then in verse 15 we have not received the spirit of bondage and to fear but the spirit of adoption whereby we come into the presence of the mighty God and we call him our Father. Ever our Father. And then we are warned that even though we have the first fruits of the Spirit, verse 23 even though we have the first fruits of the Spirit we share in the groan of creation around us. And then the next thing is and so does God. Now that may seem you say, how do you make that out? Well, it says the intercession of the Spirit is with a very self-same word, with groanings that are unutterable. Never let us think that God is sitting aloft like a sphinx with eyes gazing out into eternity, unmoved by our infirmities. The Son of God not only bore our sin, he bore our silence, he bore our sicknesses. He knew what it was to be despised and rejected of men. He went through the whole gamut of it in a sense that we can only stand up and wonder. And so here we have now the leading of the Spirit in a very specific way. I missed out one, I hope you realised I did. That um, they that are the sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God. Well now the leading of the Spirit, among other things, is in prayer. And the warning is struck immediately, which I think is so salutary, is that we do not know what to pray for as we ought. I remember reading a shocking notice, but I I think it had a certain amount of truth about it. The report of a meeting was held of a vast concourse of people, and he recorded that the speaker addressed the most wonderful prayer that had ever been made to such a vast congregation. You see it, don't you? A wonderful prayer addressed to a vast congregation. I think of the words that come from another one I quote now and again. It says, My thoughts go up, my wishes stay below. Thoughts without deeds to heaven never go. And so, this question of prayer is not merely bowing your head and saying a few words. It's certainly not standing up in a meeting and going all through the universe and telling God all about what He knows far better than we do. Surely, it's waiting and trusting and consciousness of our frailty and our inability. A silent prayer may be far more effective than the most wonderful oration that's ever been made. Well, now our time is so limited that <coughs> so I mustn't go on like that. But I want to ask you to notice the word intercession. <coughs> the Spirit itself makes be it intercession. If you were to speak to a, an average Christian quickly and say, who is the paraclete? Well, I suppose we would all would say the Holy Spirit. That's true. Because the Lord said, I will send you another comforter, and that word comforter is the paraclete. Para means alongside, like parallel lines, carry out a call. At any time you need him, he's there at your right hand. He doesn't intrude, but you call him, he's there. But what some people haven't realized is that Christ is the paraclete. He said, I will give you another comforter. Well that suggests that he was similar. But we haven't got to be basing it upon a suggestion. Because in the first epistle of John, chapter 2, when it says, we have an advocate with the Father, that's an identical word as the paraclete. So we have now, what a provision God has made. Down here, in the absence of the person of Christ down here, we have a paraclete representing him, representing us. And then we have at the right hand of God, the paraclete who makes intercession for us. Shall we see that for ourselves from another angle, by turning to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Where the apostle speaks of the priesthood of Christ. He says, (coughs) verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 7, And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, Now this man must be different, because they couldn't continue because they died. But this man died and rose again. But this man, because he continued ever, you see the contrast, they could not continue. He continues ever, hath an intransmissible priesthood. An unchangeable priesthood sounds as though it's something that won't change into something else. But this is a priesthood that never can be passed on to anybody. When Aaron was appointed to be priest there was an immediate appointment of his success. And when Moses was given his work to do, it wasn't long before Joshua was nominated. And it must be the case with every one of us in this life. We do not continue ever. and It's a part of our business for the glory of God to see that these things are done decently and in order. But there's no successor for Christ. He continues ever. And uh, it says, wherefore, as a consequence of that, he is able also to save them, not merely from the uttermost. This isn't salvation from gross sin. This is salvation to the extreme end of God's purpose. To the uttermost. And the word uttermost involves in itself one of the key words of Hebrews, and that is the word perfect. telios. This is Panteles. Unto all perfection. Fancy that gold in front of you and me. Redeemed by the blood of Christ from sin and death, and then started on a pilgrimage, which by reason of being saved by his life, as well as saved by his death, which will be presented one day, faultless unto all perfection. Seems almost too good to be true, doesn't it? I think that's a good definition of the grace of God. Almost too good to be true. (laughs) So he's able to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So there is the intercession of Christ. And you say, oh, that's good. Oh, wait a minute, friends. There's another aspect. Another aspect? Yes. Isn't it wonderful? I'm not digressing. I'm just introducing this next thought. You'll turn to 1 Timothy. Uh, Isn't it wonderful that God, Almighty God as he is, independent of all means that we can think of, he says, How shall they believe on him of whom they've not heard? Well, you say, yes, I can understand that. But God can speak to the consciences of men without the intervention of anybody. We've got no indication that Abraham ever attended an evangelistic meeting, that somehow in the midst of his idolatry, God spoke to him and he responded. And we wouldn't limit God today. But this is the general thing that the apostle says. How shall they hear without a preacher? What do you say? How shall they hear without a preacher? That's an ordinary man, yes. That's, that's right, friends. God doesn't leave us out. All the wonder of it. He's a father. And if a father does his work properly, he allows his children to do a lot of things that are no earthly use to him, but are a tremendous benefit to them. I always remember my youngest daughter helping Dad do the gardening. And she hung on to the great uh, bag of weeds that I was carrying down the garden, and I was helping her. I was carrying her weight as well. But that wasn't useless, friends. That wasn't useless. It was useless so far as gardening was concerned, but it was very valuable in cultivating another garden. For so should I have been right to have rebuffed that little run and thing, or get off, I'm, I'm, I'm not able to carry this past yet, let alone you? So God could dismiss us all, this meeting and everything, and carry on his work. But he doesn't. So will you allow me to give you the third element of intercession? There's the intercession of the Spirit. There's the intercession of the risen, seated Christ. And there's you and me down here. 1 Timothy, chapter 2. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And when he says all men, he immediately tells you all kinds of men. Not merely all men, in the sense of universal, that's just might be there. But the point was, don't limit your prayers to the likely ones. I don't think you would say that Nero was a, a very likely one to enter into the terms of salvation, but <coughs> what's the limit, where is the limit? God can save to the uttermost as well as from the uttermost. So, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of, of God our Saviour, who will have all men to be saved. See, this all men, kings, men in authority as well as the ordinary average ones, and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now, he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't say, well, that's intercession. All friends, our intercessions value less apart from the intercessor. So back he comes to it here. For there is one God and one mediator between God and them, the man Christ Jesus. And without that mediation, there is no intercession of the Spirit. There is no intercession by you and me. There is no advocate with the Father. One of the central features of Paul's ministry is that there is no possibility of access into the presence of God or anything coming from him that doesn't come via Christ. We take the words, I am the door, I am the way. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so we'll finish, let the apostle finish what he had to say here. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Now it is to be testified in due time as though in some time or the other that will be made public. But the strict logical translation, I think um, the suggestion of it is in the margin is that this emphasis upon the one mediator is a testimony that belongs to this peculiar season. Or said the Apostle Paul, don't merely speak about my doctrine as this or that or the other. If you leave out the mediation of Jesus Christ, Paul has no doctrine, no practice, no dispensation that's worth the bother. But if once we have the great intercessor, If once we are conscious that we have this spirit that is making intercession for us here, sharing our groan, and the ascended, glorified Christ, far above all principality, still concerned about us, making intercession for us at the right hand of God. And then fellow Christians are following out this statement here that they also have a ministry of intercession, remembering one another. We can't do much for one another sometimes, But there's one thing we can always do. We can remember them before the throne of heavenly grace. And then those three working together because there is one God and one mediator who gave himself a ransom for all a testimony for its own peculiar seasons whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Can there be any teaching that follows the Apostle Paul that doesn't emphasize and doesn't stress the mediation of Christ and the great intercession of his life, work and present session?